Hey guys, what's up? It is week 286, and I have a handful of reviews for you. Not too many this time around, but a couple new releases, you know, a couple brand new 2022 horror films. I don't know if they're brand new, but they're newish. So let's hop into this right away. The first one up is from On Earth Films, uh, just in time for Christmas. This is Christmas Cruelty. Now, this had kind of an extreme uh, bend to it. I remember hearing about this when it initially came out. I even think I had a DVD and never did get a chance to watch it. It's a Norwegian uh, Christmas-oriented horror film. What year was this? I know it was like early 2013. So, yeah, this one definitely had a buzz for being kind of like a crazy film. And it doesn't disappoint in that aspect. Within the first five minutes, there's a brutal murder um, on Christmas, it appears, of a family uh, being kind of raped and tortured and everything like that. Kind of taking a page out of something like Henry or August Underground Penance. And uh, it, the movie's infamous for a scene with a baby. I'll leave it at that and some power tools. As we kind of fast forward or go forward in the film, we're introduced to kind of like the three main, uh, I guess, protagonists of the film. We have a metalhead. His uh, his friend that he meets in a bar, this uh, this young girl that's hanging around with him, and his buddy who is uh, he's in a wheelchair and he also has some mental problems. He's kind of slow. So these three are pretty much the main characters of the film. And we cut back to the killer. We kind of see what the killer does and how he he hangs around. He has a family of his own and how he kind of you know picks a group of people to attack during Christmas. Um, now to his family, he seems like an upstanding guy, right? But of course we know better because we saw him commit these horrible acts in the very beginning of the film. So as it goes on, there's a lot of comedy bits between the three friends getting drunk and just hanging out, uh, talking about metal. A lot of, you know, outdated things here. The the characters are obviously big movie fans, so there's references in the background to Quentin Tarantino. People are wearing t-shirts of, you know, Walter from The Big Lebowski. It's very much a product of that kind of time where we have a lot of these characters that are obsessed with film. And you imagine that the director is also obsessed with a lot of these cult films and stuff like that. Um here's where it comes down there is a comedy aspect of the film it's a major part comedy because of the characters are so ridiculous and goofy here and uh you know i I don't find them that all all that charming i mean they're not the worst characters i've ever seen the metalhead is is completely ridiculous he's kind of supposed to be um obnoxious as hell but uh basically the whole movie leads up to our killer kind of running in with these people and we have a, a really nasty kind of climax or third act of the film where a bunch of people are murdered in brutal fashion um there is a lot of gore here um, there's a, there's a head kind of being smashed open with a hammer that I thought was effective. Um, there is sexual violence as well. Some of which is like clothed rape, which is like, is this more insulting than an unclothed rape? Is it, is it more insulting to portray the rape accurately or inaccurately? You know, that depends on the viewer or whatever you want to do. But then again, you know, you could, you could work your way around that and make it look realistic, I guess, in that aspect as well. This one really doesn't. The rape scenes are not exactly the most realistic scenes in the film. But, uh, and as, and the characters is, is a bizarre villain. Like he's just so weird. Like you, you see the character being like mild mannered in his everyday life and not appreciating like dirty jokes or stuff like that. But then like, as he's the killer, he wears really stupid shirts that says, do I look like a a fucking people person? And you're just like, I don't know if this like mashes up in his, his psyche or anything, but that's nitpicking. Or maybe it's, you know, he changes when he becomes the killer. Of course he has, he has to have that switch, I guess. Um, he does wear a Santa Claus suit, which is where this image comes from pretty i guess fairly kind of creepy and everything like that um the one thing i did notice that 
was a bit strange about the film is, you know, a lot of Scandinavian films, sometimes they'll have like a drain color look to it, especially around Christmas or winter and stuff when it's cold. It's a lot in Scandinavia. But uh, yeah, this, this one has it as well. Not a huge fan of the color palette of the film, but that's just, you know, kind of a product of the early 2010s deal, a low budget, hardcore kind of underground cinema and where it's from in the country and everything and what time it takes place. But also I noticed that the editing techniques are very strange, very almost, um, I would say somewhat ser- uh, experimental at times, just the way they, they jump around and flash and do kind of strange things. I thought that was kind of uh, different, uh, at least interesting enough. Um, so so all in all, I, I'm kind of right down the middle on this one. I think that the special effects are good. I think the brutality's there if that's what you're looking for. I'm just not sure that's exactly what I'd be 100% interested in. It's a fine kind of extreme film that a lot of people will dig, especially if they're looking for something to watch around the holiday uh, or something like that. There's not too many extreme horror films that are made you know, around the Christmas time. Red Christmas is another one that comes to mind, which I, I feel is kind of an underrated film. But as far as the special features are concerned on Christmas Cruelty, we have audio commentary with uh, Per. Ingvar Tomrin and Raymond Volg. Um, How Cruelty Changed Our Lives featurette, bloopers, photo gallery, endless highway, music video by The Last Rebels, teaser trailer, watch along with a flesh wound whore, press conference, interview with Morten Hagenson, and Tradition, a short film. So we got a decent amount of special features on here. Um, It's nice to see this get a Blu-ray. Beforehand, um, they had just this DVD here, which... Um, was an import, so that's what I had. I never get a good chance to watch it, so definitely. It looks like some of these features have been carried over from this disc as well. But anyways, if you're a fan of Christmas horror or extreme cinema, you'll probably dig Christmas Cruelty. If you're not, you might want to steer clear, but you guys know what you're doing when it comes down to Earth titles, so yeah. Okay, the next one up is from the MVD Rewind Collection, and this is uh, a wonderful movie from 1986 called At Close Range. Um, This stars, of course, Sean Penn, Christopher Walken, um, Chris Penn, and they actually play brothers in it. Um, actually stars uh, the Penn's mother and a bunch of other people are in here. Millie, Minnie, uh, Minnie Perkins, or Millie Perkins, who's an excellent actress from The Witch Who Came From The Sea and some early Monty Hellman Western films. It has Tracy Walter in here and a slew of other character actors, Stephen Jeffries, Crispin Glover, Kiefer Sutherland, and uh, Mary, uh, Mary, Stewart, uh, Mary Stewart Masterson. I always forget her name. But uh, yeah, the cast is amazing. Um, I know this director went on to do a big film, James Foley. I, I, it's, it's skipping me right now. It really is. But uh, <laughs> At Close Range um, is based on a true story in rural Pennsylvania about kind of like, I guess you'd call them like kind of these poor kids that uh, Sean Penn finally meets his father and Christopher Walken and he's like this criminal that steals a bunch of stuff along with his brothers and, and some other people. And Chris, uh, Sean Penn kind of goes under his wing and brings some of his friends in it while he's kind of having this like he's falling in love for like the first major time so it's like a coming of age story as well um the one thing that i will notice about this movie this has one of my favorite scores slash soundtracks ever uh, madonna's live to tell which is uh based kind of like on the case of the end or whatever is, is a huge prevalent force in the film but they have like an instrumental version of it that has a sad melancholy feel to it and it plays throughout the entire film the look of the film matches it it's got this dreamlike quality this really sad quality about it where it feels like you know summer is never going to end or something like that or just like you think back on the summers and how fast they went but they never felt like they're going to it just has this super unique quality about it um, just kind of like uh, you know letting your life drift by in a lot of strange ways and just coming 
coming of age story. Um, Sean Penn's excellent in it. Chris Penn's excellent in it. But Walken is is top top form here because everybody knows Christopher Walken. You know he's got this unique personality, just unique acting style. So a lot of times I would say that some people would say that he comes across over the top. And I would say that Dennis Hopper has a certain quality about him where he might possibly come over the top too. Come over, come across over the top. But the some for some reason people like Walken and Hopper to me can ground their characters into the the world they're in and they come across realistic although they are bizarre and uh, I think they're masters at that and I, I think they're two of my favorite actors but Walken in this film is just such an amazing performance. It's it's a little bit more subtle than some of his other ones, but also at the same time, it's not. He, he definitely plays like this white trash kind of character with this mustache, and the way he manipulates the situation, and just the way that it's so seedy in the bars in here with his gang and Tracy Walter being such a pervert. Um, Tracy Walter, Bob the Goon, Young Guns 2, Hunter. He's in a bunch of stuff. I talked about him last week when I talked about Drive. So so this is, it's, it's riddled with great character actors. Uh, J.D. McCall is also in here from State Grace and Waterworld and there's another actor I can't think of his name he's in Rivers uh, River Wild and uh, Nightmare Alley by Del Toro and I I didn't even I barely recognized him I was like is that him I can't believe that's him so there's a lot of like actors being chameleons here and it's just it's a depressing story and the fact that it's a true story is just something that really strikes a chord in you um the acting is amazing the score is amazing the story is vastly interesting and it's just one of these movies that every time i put on i'm hypnotized by it i I love this movie at close range is one of my favorite non-horror films from the year 86 it's just it's just got a special place in my heart and i think that it just plays really well it's also um amazing to see chris penn and sean penn act as brothers and uh, and the way Sean, Chris Penn holds himself in this film, he reminds me of a friend I had growing up, and, and it's just another attachment to the film. Now, like I said, isn't it crazy to think that you have a gang of guys, the young guys here, Sean Penn, Chris Penn, Crispin Glover, Stephen Jeffries, and Kiever Sutherland, right? It's just such an odd group of people that you would never think they would be in a film together acting. It's just like, it's a, it's an amazing cast there, but they're they're really young too. Like, so like, and, and this is, a, you know, one of the big three, it's like four or five Stephen Jeffrey movies he did before he kind of just retired from you know straight acting and anything like that but anyways everybody's really good in it and the, the this it's just perfectly captured um and you know I grew up in Ohio so it's not too far off from Pennsylvania so maybe that's just like an attachment I have it to it as well unfortunately this disc doesn't have any special features um it does have an isolated soundtrack and audio commentary with James Foley hosted by film historian Nick Redman that's a port over from the Twilight Time disc which I did own as well but uh yeah so, so this one basically just has those features as, as what they used to have, unfortunately. But I, I would have loved to see, you know, some interviews and everything, but it'd be hard to get a lot of these people to talk about the film, possibly. Anyways, it's a wonderful film. If you've not seen it or you missed out in the Twilight Time, I highly recommend you pick up at close range. You will not be disappointed if you like true crime stories or you like any of the actors involved. Now, I've always been more of a Chris Penn guy over Sean Penn, but Sean Penn is excellent in this movie. He's very good. Okay, the next one here is another MVD Rewind one, and this is Ski Patrol. Now, I don't want to piss on anybody's parade here, but this is like by the same people that made Police Academy movies, and it's been a long time. I used to enjoy those films, but it's very much in that kind of broad, very stupid, very on, you know, focused humor, you know. So, it, it, I believe it's PG. Um, it's 1990, so it's a little late. It has a really solid cast in here uh, as far as, like, character actors are concerned. I'll mention, I, I have to look at the back to refresh my memory. Ray Wolston's in here, and Martin mole and um uh, actor who recently passed away i can't think of his name i know leslie um he just passed away i know i'm, I'm missing him i know it's probably very disrespectful leslie jordan he just passed away so r.i.p to him 
But let me get this through. I, I like some of the actors involved with this film. Um, some I don't. You know, it also has, you know, the guy who makes the weird sound effects from Police Academy. He's in here as well. So we have a group of ski patrol guys that work on this mountain. There's another group. There's a developer that wants to buy it out and, like, close the mountain or whatever. So they basically start to scheme to make the ski patrol look bad so that Ray Walston gets fired from his job right before retirement. All this kind of stuff, yada, yada, yada. It's up to the lovable jerks to finally pull together and beat the baddies. It's a very typical plot. It's something that you would see parodied on South Park and the tip you know the ski movies or something like along those lines my problem with the film is it's very unfocused none of the characters are likable none of the characters are very funny and humor is very subjective if you just saw this at a young age I'm sure you'd be laughing a lot a laugh riot but for me I watched this deadpan did not smile once did not laugh once became vastly annoyed by the characters the movie acts like you know everybody you've been grown up with them and you know them forever like you know like this is the seventh movie or something like that you know like it's a seventh police academy or something you're like oh Tackleberry or whoever the hell all these characters are oh Bobcat you're so funny I I don't know. I have no connection to this movie. I have no connection to the characters and it acts like you know them. Some people might like that, but I've just found it kind of uh, grating. I found it grating and I'm very sorry about that. It's just, it's not really my thing. And like I said, this is definitely like a very much a product of its time. The kind of silly, broad humor. And sometimes I love that stuff. Hey, you're talking about a guy who loves Meat Wally Sparks and, and stuff like that. So I am not like opposed to that kind of stuff, but this one just really didn't do much for me, which makes me wonder if I rewatch the Police Academy movies, if I just keep rolling my eyes. No, there's a lot of gags here and, and there's a lot of good skiing. So if you're into skiing, the skiing is done fairly well as far as I can tell. There's a lot of dance moves. There's dance scenes that are done well. So if you're in it for the skiing or the dancing, you might enjoy Ski Patrol. If you're in it for like the comedy like me and you have any kind of sense of humor similar to me, it's just not going to work very well for you. I'm sorry. And, you know, it looks good and it sounds good and it's got a great cover art, something I would have rented and ate up as a kid. But right now, um, this just really doesn't do anything for me. There's no special features. And, uh, yeah, so so it's PG, actually. This is a pass for me on Ski Patrol. Maybe maybe. Maybe if you like ski movies or these really sophomore kind of silly comedies, then you might dig this. This one just didn't do much for me. Okay, the next one is a Spanish film, I believe, um, because it's by the makers of the Spanish Chainsaw Massacre, which I which I covered a while ago. And this is called Fucking Bastards. It also has another name here. What is it? Um, Jodicos Cabrones, which probably translates to Fucking Bastards. So this is a super short movie. It's like 50, it's, it's an hour and three minutes. And this is from the Wild Eye Raw line, which you never know what you're going to get. You'll probably get some really extreme stuff. And that's exactly what this is. So saying this, this movie doesn't really have much plot. It's about a couple that are walking. They, um, they, they're kind of hiking in, in the woods. They obviously were having some, you know, marital problems. Um, the husband rolls his ankle and they're kind of desperate for help. Some weird people pick them up. They end up at this kind of like hotel or something like that with this family of monsters, crazy people, and they torture and proceed to kill anyone they come in contact with. There's long scenes of them force-feeding them their shit that is just, you know, soup from a can. There's long scenes of, you know, kind of like just torture and mayhem and disgust and gore. There's not really much more going for this film. Um, It's tedious, to be honest, it gets very old very fast. It's not really my thing. I know I'm coming across very negative this week. But to be in general, this is just, you know, it's strictly for gorehounds. It's strictly for the extreme crowd. Um, now, I do like extreme films when they have a plot or they have a message or I can see something in there that I haven't seen before. This is not doing that. This is very typical. It's straight to the point. It's gory. It's gross. If that's what you're into, it's low budget, then you will enjoy this one. If that's not something you're looking for, if you're looking for something a little bit more, I would say mature or, or more. Or layered or something along those lines then this isn't it 
This is not the movie for you. It's called Fucking Bastards. I guess I should have known better. I guess we should all know better. This is exactly what you think it is. It's just a gory, low-budget, nasty, mean-spirited movie that costs about $10 and a can of beef stew. So if this sounds like it's up your alley, check it out. I, I probably won't watch this ever again. I don't remember loving Spanish Chainsaw Massacre, but I remember it being a little bit better than this, maybe a little bit more interesting than this. But it is nice to see kind of like movies from different countries, how they handle gore films and all that kind of stuff, because this is like super do it yourself kind of stuff here this is fucking bastards check it out if it sounds like a chip your alley um if not then then skip it okay this next one here gonna be super brief with it because we covered on a 22 shots halloween episode and uh, like literally two minutes this is jacko by steve ladshaw produced by fred olin ray jacko's got a uh, you know kind of an infamous story about it because the commentary and all that kind of stuff that was on the disc there's a blu-ray that was recently released i did not upgrade jacko maybe i will down the line but hey it is what it is <laughs> Steve Latchaw also directed Vampire Trailer Park, Dark Universe. What else did he do? Um, Biohazard. I covered Biohazard and Vampire Trailer Park for their years in the retro years, 91 and 85. Um, Latchaw is a Florida filmmaker. Jacko is probably his most famous film. I don't know why I never saw Jacko, but I kind of am glad we got to watch it for the Halloween show. Anyways, Jacko is kind of like a low rent pumpkin head kind of style film. And it's up to this young boy and his family to stop Jacko from coming back and destroying the world or some shit like that on Halloween and he's the only one that can do it. Jacko kind of runs amok and attacks random people, killing them, including a pair of very bigoted assholes. And that's kind of the plot of Jacko. Um, some of the acting is pretty poor. Linnea Quigley is in here. It's always a plus. They have weird, strange, weird cameos by John Carradine and Cameron Mitchell. Both died before the movie was released. Also, Brink Stevens in a very strange cameo. So the movie's kind of like patched together in a lot of ways, and it shows. It, it does create some uh, unintentional humor due to the acting and due to the weird patchiness of the film in general jacko looks fairly solid i thought he was cool i like the pumpkin head killer i like the halloween aesthetic at certain points um yeah it's 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 a good bad movie if that makes any sense they it's an honest attempt it fails in a lot of aspects but it still has enough cool things to kind of keep your attention and maybe help you giggle a little bit on halloween so that's jacko if it sounds like it's up your alley check it out Okay, the next one up is the Patreon pick. And I can't remember, is it Jim Simon picked this one? And he picked me a doozy. I'd seen this a long time ago. This is by Alan Clark, kind of a famous British director. And originally this was made as a TV version in 1977 for the BBC, if I'm not mistaken, Scum. Then they uh, basically wouldn't broadcast that because it was too rough and realistic. So they released, uh, made a feature-length version in 1979. This is the version starring Ray Winstone. Ray Winstone's a fairly big actor in Britain. He'd go on to be in stuff like um, The Department was a big movie he was in so scum scum is one of these movies that just kind of shows you the reality of a situation that a lot of people do not want to see they do not want to think about i i would compare it to ghost of the civil dead which is another prison film but this is kind of like a young uh, man's prison detentiary uh, penitentiary kind of deal and we kind of follow these three people that are brought in right away one is ray winstone and he used to be a daddy is what they call him from another kind of penitentiary he got sent here and at first he's very mild-mannered and quiet and he doesn't say very much and he kind of seems like he just wants to serve his time and get over with and then there's a couple other a young a really young boy who probably shouldn't be there he, he seems like he's kind of out of place he tried to make an escape and a, a, another one that seems like he's a little shy and everything like that so later we're kind of introduced to another character whose main intention is just to kind of he's a very intelligent he likes to stir the pot he likes to prove a point he likes to have intellectual conversations and just kind of drive you know the brass crazy that's kind of his deal and and another character who is just going to be very upset later on by the circumstances 
circumstances. So these are kind of like three of the driving forces behind what happens in this in this penitentiary. Over time, we're like exposed to a lot of some awful things, and the main thing that's the most disturbing past the violence, past the rape, past the, the, the suicides, is that the way that the bureaucracy and the people, the screws they call them, treat the kids and how they have no emotion, how they look at everything a certain way, how they're just completely inhuman, more inhuman than the prisoners. And that's kind of the point. At one point, our intellectual character has this conversation with one of them, and he basically says, we're all products of this system. We're all here in the system. And, and when he's telling him this, you can see the anger grow in his face for maybe self-realization, or maybe he doesn't like the idea of somebody belittling him or whatever it is. It's just these fragile egos running places and these set of circumstances that, you know, Biakers create that create this awful system and that's what the scum is about um scum scum is an excellent movie because it's so bleak it's so real there's a rape scene in this film and somebody that was watching commented you know normally i'm very disturbed by these but and i'm disturbed by this but the fact that it's portrayed so realistically is something that i can kind of respect in a way that you know they're showing this and the aftermath completely properly as far as i'm concerned and it's 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 something that's kind of groundbreaking and i i do agree with that this rape scene in the film is very bothersome and of course it ends in a certain way but you get the idea does anything really change will anything ever change scum scum's a very powerful movie it's a very disturbing movie it's a movie that people write about it's a movie that people talk about it's a movie that you know it, it, it attempts at making a statement it has a big statement behind it and you know what you think the statement is i mean it's there you know you see it kind of like one full of the cuckoo's nest where you're like you see these things and, and you feel that there should definitely be a change um you know i'm not as familiar with alan clark's films as i should be um this is probably the only one that i've actually seen that i can think of and i've seen it more than once um back in the day you know watch a lot of prison movies like bad boys with sean penn and um clancy brown is that Sean Penn in that one? I think it is. And, and stuff like that. And, and I watched a lot of them. You know, Ghosts of the Civil Dead. And they're always very strong, blood in, blood out. Very powerful films. And Scum is, is one that you see at a completely different level. You don't really see the British prison system, penitentiary, young kids. I didn't, at least, until I saw this film. Uh, excellent film. Um, this is the... Um one from Kino Lorber, and they have, what do they have on here? 5.1 Sound, audio commentary by Ray Winstone, interview with producers Davina Belling and Clive Parsons, interview with writer Roy Mitten, interview with executive producer Don Boyd, EPK interview with Roy Mitten and Clive Parsons, cast memories, original theatrical trailer. Just a really disturbing movie that still packs a punch to this day. Okay, now we have a, a, a few 2022 horror films. Um, the first one up is Fresh. This is on Hulu, and this stars who's Sebastian Stan, and I can't think of the actress in here, and she's fucking brilliant in it. So uh, basically, I'd heard a lot of good things about this one. It was one of the bigger ones that came out earlier in the year, and everybody's saying how good it was. So, so I finally popped this in, and right off the bat, I was just very impressed with the acting and everything like that. Um, our main character is on this date, and you just see this awful this awful date and this like toxic masculinity and privilege shit like this guy is just a douchebag they're obviously kind of trying to go for that kind of thing in this movie for sure you know how hard it is to date at a certain age and, and just the people the pool that's out there at this point so um, she's she's a writer and she kind of like uh, she's going on these dates and everything and she has like this connection with her friend who's like this really tough girl that always like goes in boxes and stuff like that so their connection their back and forth their friendship is really great um, good stuff and uh, one day she's at the grocery store and she meets Sebastian Stan and you know this guy's too good to be true he's very charming he's very funny he's very handsome and uh pretty quick they go out on a date um before long they're definitely in a relationship now the problem is she does not know exactly 
um, that many details about him. He doesn't have a social media presence, and that's a, like a red flag for a friend. So I don't want to go on about this movie without spoiling with spoiling it because I'll have to spoil the next things that happen. But anyways, I really enjoyed this. I thought the acting was great. I thought the end was very satisfying, and I thought that you know the twist is kind of obvious, like what's going to happen. But I thought it was just really well done, and it was a master manipulator character here. So um, spoilers now. So uh, it turns out that Stan here is going to uh, he takes her to this like exotic location, yada yada yada. And her friend knows a little bit, but not enough information. And the sleuthing in this movie is really well done. You know, a lot of movies you're like, how'd they get there? How'd they get to this point? But the sleuthing in here is sad. It's it's well done where you can follow it because the main character disappears and her friend's going to try to track her down and somebody's going to try to track her down. It just is like a chain and it works really well. So anyways, what happens is it turns out that this guy is harvesting body parts, but he actually has feelings for her. So there's this kind of bloodshot thing going on where you have like these three characters chained up, but they can't see each other. So they're kind of talking back and forth a bit and you can see the different levels of where their mindsets are and everything like that. And over time, she loses, you know, a piece of her body. But she starts to kind of like play into the game, you know, play into this cannibalism. How far would you go to survive? So and then, of course, you know, there's a a big climax at the end, which is very satisfying, very funny. It's got a good dark streak of humor that's really well done. And the acting is top notch. Fresh is a great film. I would recommend it to anybody. I think that this one, you know, is approachable to almost anybody, too. So fresh on Hulu. Definitely worth checking out. Great stuff. One of the better ones I've seen from this year. Top 10 for sure top 10 um area for sure fresh the next one i watched on peacock and this is black phone now i'm not the hugest scott derrickson fan i don't think his uh strange movie is great or bad or anything like that but i never really loved sinister I, i i appreciated it and I don't really care for the exorcism of Emily Rose. Um, saying that, I, I popped in Black Phone. It's written by Joe Hill, you know, son of Stephen King. So it has, it definitely has, a, a, you know, you can tell that's the son of Stephen King, has that flair. So right when I started in, it's a period piece, 1978. And there is this person they're calling the Grabber, who's going around kidnapping kids, and then they're never coming back, right? Um, so it, it has a nice, like, aesthetic. It looks like the 70s. It has, like, a, a feeling to it. And um, we have a, a brother and sister, their main characters. Their father is Jeremy Davies. And he's just an alcoholic their mother's passed and you kind of get the idea pretty quickly that these kids possibly have the shining the mother kind of had the shining had something like that you know maybe like a, a fifth sense or something like that so it's not long before you know these they show some of the characters being taken by the grabber played by ethan hawk and i you got to give respect to ethan hawk because ethan hawk doesn't have to do indie movies or anything but he's been very smart with what he's picked and he's done kind of like a lot of art films and stuff like that and then always seemed to make good choices and interesting choices from first reform you know even to sinister to stuff like that and uh, and and um um the uh what the hell is that movie i can't believe i forgot the big franchise movie that he's in the first one of course the purge which i mean seemed to work out for him being a producer on that and everything's like that so and so anyways uh eventually our young uh young boy gets kidnapped here and the, the daughter the daughter has some sort of psychic link and all this stuff but what's really cool about the film is as we learn more about the killer we also learn about the victims that are previously there and there's this black phone on the wall and only the killer can hear it normally but our young boy can hear it as well and that's how he communicates with all the past victims to try to save his life and every time there's these nice little reveals and these kids don't seem to remember every detail and he kind of meets them and he knew some of them and it's really touching and really well done and it all comes together at the end i thought this one was 
you know, lighter, you know, lighter than stuff like Dr. Sleep or, you know, it and the child department killings, I guess, you know, that's fucked up to say, but there is child killings and it is disturbing to a certain point. Um, Ethan Hawke is good in it. I, I didn't expect to like this very much, but I ended up really enjoying it. I thought it was a very well-made movie, very well acted. I like the structure. I like the idea that how the kid has to like kind of survive and, you know, have these little clues and hints and all this kind of stuff. It's just a well done horror film. You know, it's, it's, it's well produced, well directed. There's nothing really wrong with it. And I just was happy with it. I thought the period piece stuff worked really well too. So that is black phone. And the last of the new films is VHS 1999. Now, the VHS films have been kind of a strange, uh, strange, strange story, right? We had the first one, which I was iffy on. I liked one of the stories, maybe a couple. And then we had VHS Part 2, which I thought was a was a masterpiece. I thought it was great. It's one of the better anthologies. Loved the last two stories. Liked the third. Didn't mind the first. The second, I liked, I liked the second. Didn't mind the first. So then we have VHS Viral, which is a huge step down. Some people like stories. There's a couple decent stories in there. Then we have 94, which came out last year, I believe. Believe. And that's a mixed bag as well, like most anthologies. Some of them I liked, Ratma, the Funeral Home one was cool. But a couple of the last story I, I really didn't care for at all. Now we have 1999. And again, it's a big mixed bag for everybody hearing lots of things. How I felt about uh, VHS 99. So... Again, I, I do think that they should just hire, you know, uh, Chris La Martina, who did WNUF Halloween special, to make these like fake, like uh, time dated trailers and stuff and commercials like that. That should be him. He's so much better at it than these people. Not to be rude. So, so basically, what we have here is five stories. The first story pops up, and this is a story about a group of asshole kids, which is a very typical teen kids or whatever very typical vhs thing it's it's their mo right unlikable characters doing chauvinistic or violent or trashy or homophobic things and then being horribly murdered that's vhs's mo look at the first one there's like five stories out of five that have those kind of characters so essentially these douchebag kind of kids go to this place where a band had uh died tragically they're supposed to be like this awesome inclusive band but they were killed by their fans trampled and they go to this underground you know kind of venue and they're going to try to do this gross video like a jake paul video or something like that where they laugh at suicide, whatever they're doing. So what happens is, of course, it blows up in their face. And this one was fun, had some cool imagery, some kind of monsters that look really cool, decrepit band monsters, heavy metal kind of horror stuff or punk rock horror stuff. thought this one was solid. The second story is one about, you know, kind of uh, pledging to a sorority. This one was really solid as well. You kind of get the idea the horrible sorority kind of, you know, uh, pranks and all this kind of shit that the people do. I thought this one was a classic kind of tale, creepy graveyard stuff worked really well and then we have the third story here by flying lotus now this is a bizarre one this is very 90s this reminded me kind of took me back down the road with a nickelodeon or those uh hidden temple shows where they have these crazy game shows so that's basically what it is we have this uh domineering mother and her daughter is in here she's from detroit and you know so i got a root for the person from detroit or right by detroit you know it's really close to toledo so essentially what happens here is it's kind of an impossible game and the, the host is really terrible and he's talking down on her from where she's from all this kind of shit and of course a tragedy strikes but this family's not gonna you know not just they're just not gonna let it slide so that's kind of what happens here and it and it goes to a really weird crazy place where it's just kind of almost lovecraftian which you would not expect this one's what was it called somebody's castle i can't remember this one i'm mixed on this one i don't know exactly how i 100 percent feel 
The next one is Gawkers, and this is also partially the wraparound one. Now, this is my least favorite of the bunch. Now, Gawkers here is basically kind of a rehash of the I Like You from the first one, which is a better short. And there's a there's basically these guys, these young kids that are staring at this girl across the street. And uh, tragedy happens when the girl realizes what they're doing because she is not as she seems. Cool monster, like some of it. It just really was kind of pointless and didn't seem to connect very well with anything. I, I don't think it, it's my least favorite, to be honest. It's the one that I kind of just felt like it's like a rehash of VHS 1. Now, the final story feels like a rehash of Safe Haven from Part 2. Now, saying that, this one is big and crazy and wild and weird and has some really cool shit about it, but I was kind of out of the movie by the fourth segment. I was just like, ah, it's a lot of segments and that fourth one wasn't very good. But the fifth one, it is probably one of the most innovative and big and ambitious and and I got to give it respect for that. There's some creepy imagery. And I think if I rewatch this one, I probably would just be more happy with that last segment. It's much better than I gave credit for when initial watching. As a whole, I think VHS 1999 is pretty decent. Only one bad short out of the five for me. And that's the fourth one. And it does. it's partially the wraparound as well, which VHS is known for having a bad wraparound, right? I don't think there's any good wraparounds in VHS. And the one from part three, you're just like, what is happening? What is happening here in VHS three? I do not understand this wraparound. Anyways, those are the three new movies. Yeah. God damn it. It's you. No, I know it's me. I'm not blaming you. I'm just stepping on plastic. Um, we're here for the Universal. And this one, I know we did Halloween Ends last time. Which, technically, is that a Universal? It's a Blumhouse. I think it is Universal. But, all right, all right, whatever. This is the last warning. Um, next week is the last performance, so I don't forget. Okay, this is by the same director of The Cat in the Canary, 1927, I believe, and um, The Man Who Laughs, which were like two of the last ones we did. So, the last warning. This has a lot of similarities to The Phantom of the Opera, but the first thing I noticed was that a lot of the camera work seemed to be a little bit more lively. It seemed to be a little bit more modern, and the performances seemed more naturalistic. The um, actors and actresses all looked completely different. A lot of character actors. And this was probably my favorite cast of all the movies we watched so far. Just a ensemble cast. So basically the plot is uh, there is an accident or a murder during a performance called The Snare, I believe. Mm -hmm. And um, the theater closes down. Um, the director is blamed for everything. Years down the line, a new producer comes in who is the actor who passed away's friend. He wants to put the snare together to figure out exactly what happened by bringing back the old cast. And shenanigans and insanity ensue. And there's possibly a killer running around the theater while a bunch of eccentric, weird characters kind of bumble in the dark. The end. Yeah. Um, so what do you think of this one? <laughs> I thought it was fantastic. Um, yeah, like I said, so, you know, small cast, um, but each character is, like, like very, uh, eh, stereotyped? I don't know. Like, everybody does an amazing job. Everybody's very much a character, but they're all yeah. really well done. They all stand out. They all have mm -hmm. their moments. There's a lot of comic relief. There's, like, I don't right. know, there's, like, four or five goofy characters that are just stumbling throughout the entire movie. Two of the characters I really enjoyed were the actual owners of the theater, and they're like kind of like these two like ridiculous brothers named the Bunce mm -hmm. Brothers. And one is really like an older guy, but the one that really steals the show is this really heavy set guy that's constantly flirting with this woman and has like a kiss on his cheek all the time. Right, it's always you know like like, like the lipstick. Um, I, I love the uh, the old woman Barbara. Yeah, um, she, she just plays like a corpse like eighty percent of the time. <laughs> the um the th or the theater's producer i thought was great he shows up in like the second act um and he really kind of steals the show he's just like this like 
big bruiser guy. Like he's like like breaking shit with his bare hands. Like I, I just thought he was really cool. I thought he had the best facial expressions. Oh yeah. I thought he reminded me of Principal Ch- uh, uh, Superintendent Chalmers. Superintendo Chalmers. Um. Uh, <laughs> and also kind of like George's boss, uh, Daniel Von Bargen from Seinfeld. Yeah. He just had like like this like like over the top like character about him that it was just like really nice like he had like a lot of energy a great smile um great smile um and he so he he I don't think he doesn't buy the theater but like he, he's the new producer yeah. he wants to start um but he has ulterior motives he wants to figure out who he wants to figure out who, who killed his who killed his friend um but he wants he also wants to perform his friend's last play um which this is the last warning. That's yeah. right. Okay, and, and then you know they they find like clues like hidden throughout, like like threats and things like that. Spooky stuff happens. Um, I, I enjoy the look of the killer because he has like a weird mask and he's kind of like, um, he kind of reminds me of something like Mad Love, how they had that weird fake face on there yeah. on top of that. So it's kind of like that, but just different. He looks he looks like really creepy. This one is actually really good at doing like camera in camera tricks to make it look freaky and spooky and doing like uh over layers of it with hands mm-hmm. but another thing they do really well is the set itself is full of like um like tricks so like people will fall through the stage and all that kind of stuff and the whole lot like setup of the actual theater is really awesome when you find the secret passages and everything it's very much phantom but very much more playful it's like the phantom meets cat and the canary but i feel like it's just more entertaining than both of those and i know it's probably blasphemy yeah it has like like the energy of like cat and the canary but the um, plot of the phantom but the plot of the phantom you know the, the thing about the phantom is like it's always <clears throat> phantom is just always very middling to me um it, yeah, everybody knows the story we know where it's going we know how it's going to end you know no matter how many times you change it up like you know the phantom of the opera yeah. um cat and the canary had like 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 the hokey stuff going on like like who who done it you know it's definitely a precursor to this for this director for sure. right right but um you, you can see that it's in the same vein um it, it really is like 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 a perfect combination it takes like the best parts of the phantom and cat and the canary and, and like combines them into one um and you know this is a, a story about it's a movie based off a play about a play and a murder. Um, you know, it's, it's really weird to think about you have, like, two main sources of entertainment at this time. where You, you have stage play, um, which can have all dialogue, and but very, they're very limited as to what they can do with sets and special effects, things like that. But then you have film, which is all sets and special effects, but they're very limited on dialogue yeah. at this time. Um and and this version that we watched, you know, it, it's silent. Um, it had good music though, but it had fantastic music. And and I, I don't know, you know, I I never know if like <laughs> when you're watching a silent film, is this the music that it was presented yeah. with? Like how was it originally presented? Or you know how was it presented? And and, and like everything like <coughs> queued up really good in this film, at least in this version that we watched. And I'm like, is this like? Because we're, we're getting later, so things probably... We can definitely to... tell by the camera work that uh, it, it's starting to get more advanced. It is, and, and like things are like sync, like syncing up really well. Um, it's not like when you watch Metropolis, and, and it's like, okay, I'm, I don't know what this but, is. But also, you, you forgot to make like kind of a point <coughs> that I find funny. You said that there's two forms of entertainment here. Um, the play, the musical plays in our life kind of stuff, where you have all the dialogue, and the movies where you have all the special effects. <laughs> but this is actually a movie about a play, so you have the special effects, but you don't have the dialogue, which is funny, you know what I mean? So you have like kind of i don't want to say the best of both worlds it's just a weird thing that you basically take a it's about something that you took away the best part of it you know well well well, so this is based off of a play which is based off of a book 
Um, so, you know, when you're watching silent films, you don't get a whole lot of dialogue in them. No. You know, you, you, yeah, you get, you get the, the dialogue cards or whatever, but so much of it gets to be cut out because otherwise you'd just be watching dialogue cards for the majority of the yeah. runtime. And that, that can, you can't have that. That's, you tedious. can't, you can't have that. So when, when we're watching these, cause, um, the, there was another one that I think, uh, the, Cat and the Canary was also based off of a play. Yeah. You know, so so how much did they change? Like like what were the challenges that they had in adapting this from a stage production, which was all dialogue, to a to a film version. I wonder how many traps they had and trap doors they had on the stage play. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you know, like like what were the changes <laughs> made? I, I've never heard of this play. I, I'll, I'll never see it. I'll never seek it out. I don't care enough. Um, I mean, the play seemed fine, but we, the real play is not the interesting part. Is is that a murder took place during the real play, and them trying to figure out who the murderer is? Unless this is actually a play, the snare's not actually a play. Unless they're making a play about a play, and it's a real play, and it's a real play that they're playing on. You see what I mean? Well, like I said, this was originally a, a stage production. Yeah, the last warning was a stage production. Yes, but the um, snare is not a real. I don't think the snare is That's a real what I mean. play. What if it I, was, I'm, though, I'm that'd not be even. Funny. Yeah, I'm not even looking at the snare as I anything other than a plot contrivance. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's it's even today you have a you have the the novel and then you adapt it into the movie and what changes had to be made because you can't do what's done in the book or vice versa. Agreed. Um, but no, I, I thought it was fantastic. It was um, very entertaining. Yeah, I'd, I'd easily give it like four and a half. I think it's probably one of the better silent films that we've watched so far. Four out of five for me, um, mm-hmm. and I enjoyed it. Next week is going to be the last performance, and I think Dracula is after that. Then Dra- well, we ain't even going to get to Dracula by Halloween. I know, I know. It's because we watched Halloween Ends. Yeah, we, we fucked up. We did fucked up. But hey, it. it is what it is. This is actually going to be the one that does Halloween. We still wouldn't have made it. It would have been the last performance, or the last performance, yeah. We still wouldn't have made it. We well, we would have made it. We wouldn't have. Yeah, we Let's just should watch two this week, and I don't want to. I watch it too. Okay, I, I yeah. could barely finish one of these. All right, we're done. All right, bye. Okay, let's get into the questions, comments, concerns, all that good stuff. Michael Bay, I'm with you, Dave. Halloween ends was refreshing. Finally, they changed it up a little. Like Friday Thirteenth, Jason Goes to Hell, Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Those writers, directors had the balls to step outside the box and make something different. Like many other films, Halloween ends will gain a cult following over time. It really isn't a bad movie compared to some of the others in the franchise. Horrific Nightmares, JM. Thank you for your thoughts on Halloween ends. It's really not that deep. The constant hate this movie has gotten has been exhausting, along with the hate for Rob Zombie. Truthfully, the constant negativity has been discouraging. I got into making videos for love of movies, especially horror. horror. Fantastic video. Thank you. Um, Howie Feldersnatch was my second least favorite Halloween behind Resurrection. I just don't like the plot, and honestly, I would always prefer the original timeline. Also very controversial, but I'm not the biggest Laurie Strode fan. I actually prefer Jamie Lloyd. I also like the Rob Rob Zombie's Halloween, too. I understand the different tastes people have, because I actually like Halloween 5 a lot, and I prefer the Thorn trilogy to the new trilogy. I think the Thorn storyline was an interesting concept, just just not executed very well in Halloween 6. My ranking is, from from worst to best, Resurrection, Ends, Kills, Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, H2O, Curse, Halloween 2018, Halloween 4, Halloween 5, Halloween 2, 81, Rob Zombie's Halloween, Season of the Witch, and Halloween 1978. I, I love Season of the Witch, so... Ken Coakley, I really liked your Halloween Ends review. The internet has spawned some trolls, but they were always there. When Halloween 3 came out, people were up in arms, myself included, but I just didn't watch it again for years. I came around eventually. I didn't I didn't with 4, 5, and 6. I remember seeing Halloween 4 in the daytime, then going to see Metallica that night. I wasn't bothered by the Jason-less Friday 5. He was barely in the first one. Friday 5 also has some great performances by Miguel Nunez as Demon. I don't know what was funnier. 
um, complaining about the dam- those damn acheladas, singing that stupid song, or yelling, you're going to get it, bitch, with that silly tone of voice. You're also right that if Halloween Ends or the new Hellraiser was released in the 80s, they would love it. At first, I didn't like Halloween Ends because there were too many surprises, and I had an aversion to surprises because my Asperger's. I watched it again and liked it. I guess there's a petition to get David Gordon Green to reshoot Halloween Ends. That is... Um, silly. I didn't like how Clerks 3 ended, but I'm not going to make Kevin Smith reshoot it. As a George Clooney said in From Dust Till Dawn, so it is written, so shall it be done. Yeah. Um, VHS 82. Yeah, it's insane. Come on, guys. Grow up. VHS 82. Your comments during the Halloween end segment were spot on. I absolutely loved it. Saw it once in the theater and once on Peacock. We'll be picking this thing up as soon as it's out on blue. Whether you're you're talking the monsters, Halloween ends, or pretty much anything they hate these days across the internet is absolutely contagious for the things that the mob deems worthy of hate. So tired. Me too. Joker NYC. You are right. That's what makes you great. You say what you feel and you don't care what others think. Thank you. Steven Herdera. I personally hated ends, but I'm really glad people, other people enjoyed it. I'm not going to be petty and call out people for enjoying it, but rather cherish that they got enjoyment out of something I didn't. I even liked other people's reviews who did enjoy the film and those who didn't. To me, it's a shitty Halloween film, but it ain't the end of the world. Dark Glasses looks really good, too, but I haven't been able to find the Italian Blu-ray for cheap. Missed it when it was on Diabolic. Alan Rowe Kelly, I will definitely see Halloween Ends now that I've heard your review. I love your take on it, and yes, it's only a movie. LL. Thank you very much. Um, okay, so there we go. It's like, oh, she says, when franchises movies do something. Okay, yep, she says, I'm with you, Mr. Parker. Pop Culture Massacre. Um, he says, sorry. Um, excited to hear you, Moods, argue about Halloween Ends on 2022 Top 10 show. Ha! I mean, Moods will just say he doesn't like it, and we're fine with that. We, we talked about it. I mean, the thing is, like, with Moods and JP and, and everybody on that show, we're adults. It's going to be fine. Even if we argue, it'll be funny. We're not serious. Uh, ontologically Steve. What is that? Ontologically Steve. I have Dark Glasses on Blu-ray. I really liked it. It doubled down on the dream logic aspect of classic Italian cinema, which I like. It was a breath of fresh air and the palate cleanser for Giallo and Dracula. However, Dracula 3D is a guilty pleasure of mine, but I won't argue that it's good. Haha. Ha. I understand exactly what you mean. Love the channel, Mr. Parker. I especially like your collabs with Troy Haworth. Please do more. There will be more. Travis Bickle 131. I'm sure you've been asked a million times. Haha. Ha. What are your thoughts on Terrifier 2? This is assuming you've seen it. Psyched to watch Dark Glasses on Shutter. I have not seen Terrifier 2. I'm excited to see it, though. I hear mostly good things. Um, movie Junkie Reviews. Oh, man. Been waiting to see Dark Glasses and Halloween Ends, but don't have Peacock or Shutter. I'll have to scoop them up when they hit D- uh, DVD eventually. I mean, you could probably get a free trial on both of those and check them out. Um, so then we have Nick Mua. After your review, I will give Halloween Ends a go. Though I doubt this franchise is over and I'm done. Also, I very much enjoyed the new Tear on a Track show. Yet another way to talk about genre, but in a constructive way. Picking one song that encapsulates the movie as a head-scratcher, but it sure is fun. Questions. Which movie would you rip off if you could get away with it? Um, I would rip off the original Day of the Dead script. Do you always read the booklets, essays that are included with the home media releases? No, I don't. Not always. And I don't a lot of the times, to be honest. Who writes the best horror-related essays? Um, I I can't tell you that. Probably I like I like Troy Howard's books. I've read those, but he's not too big. Is he? Do, he doesn't do too many essays. He does in the booklets. So I I can't give you an answer on that. I know there's a lot of people that are very talented at doing. Three. Have you seen Lucky McKee's late uh, late last film, Old Man, featuring Stephen Lang and Mark Center? I have not. I rather liked it. Hope you and yours have a happy happy Halloween with plenty of movie scares, but no real life ones. I appreciate that greatly, Nick. And uh, we're going to hop into that update. Okay, a fairly quick update. Um, not everything from Vinegar Syndrome came, and the other ones are supposed to come tomorrow, but let's do the some of them right here. We got the Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2. That's right, on 4K. 
Really fun movie. You know, this is a love it or hate it film. I think this one grows on you. The more you see it, the more you like it. Oh, they got the classic Breakfast Club style cover there. Fucking love that. Um, yeah, this movie is bonkers. Super weird Toby Hooper movie. I love it. I know if people don't love it. It does feel like a weird warped fan film. Uh, 4K, Texas Chainsaw 2. Awesome stuff. Then we have a Paul Nashy man. The Werewolf uh, Woman vs. Vampire. The Werewolf vs. Vampire Woman. Very cool. Paul Nashy in 4K. It's about fucking time, right? Very cool. The blood flows like vintage wine. Yes, gotta love it. 4 fucking K, man. Digging this. Digging this for sure. Werewolf vs. Vampire Woman. Oh, we got the... All these different cuts on here. HDR. Yeah, that's right. Love Paul Nashie. Although I'm not as familiar with Paul Nashie as I should be. I've liked everything that I've seen him in. He's always good. Um, then we have Blood Delirium. Which is one I'm excited to check out. This looks really cool. I don't know much about it. I know the title. And that's about it. Oh, that looks awesome. Rad cover on the back with the skull. Um, just lots of cool shit from uh, Vinegar Syndrome here. Um, this is from the yearly package deal. This is the October one. I'm digging it. So, good stuff. Who did this one? Sergio Brigazzelli. Um, Man, what else did he do? I don't know if I know him that well. And last, but certainly not least, fucking Don't Open Till Christmas. Uh, Edward Perdome movie. Super sleazy British flick about a guy who chops off Santa Claus's dicks. Um, yeah, that's right. Uh, he could, anybody dressed as Santa Claus gets their dicks chopped off. This movie is really sleazy and trashy. It's been a long time since I've watched it. Look forward to rechecking it out. Uh, don't open till Christmas. Maybe I'll pop this bad boy in and we can, I can watch it before. Oh, oh my God. I didn't even know it did this. It opens up like that. Um, there's some nudity here, but it's cartoon nudity. Chill. Um, ooh, there we go. So, did the other ones do that? That's so cool. That's the first time one's open like that. So, anyways, uh, we're going to hop back to that video. All right, guys. Thank you very much for watching. And as always, have a good one. Me. Mm -hmm.